Welcome to Word to Your Mama, episode five. Cinco kids, thank you so much for listening. If you started, if you're not starting backwards, if you started from the from the trailer to this, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, today we have Dr. Rachel Ramist. She's my homegirl from a long time ago. Um, she ended up moving away from LA. Um, so we kind of lost touch and then we reconnected. Her stories, crazy incredible and inspiring. And it was fitting that we recorded this the day after we had the great loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But we talk about everything. We talk, she's a director. Um, she has her PhD. She had a 10-year college. And then we find out why she gave that up. Because um, it's never too late to follow your dreams. We talk about rap, from rap life <laughs> to single mom life um, to tragedies and connections that we have and making and creating safe spaces for women and just the fucking bullshit you have to go through being the one, the one, the only one, or, or, or the, you know, or the few, um, in, in the different spaces. So let's straight get into it. I think you're going to love it. It runs a little longer. And she was like, Oh, you know, you can edit or did. I was like, when I listened to it, I was like, no, we need all this shit. Um, we could have talked for hours because her story, there's so much more to her story. So maybe we'll have her on another time. But I mean, just just know that she the the gist is that she went from single mom PhD to getting a ten year professor um, situation, uh, and then following her dreams. And now her credits include Queen Sugar, Greenleaf, Roswell on the direct on the directing tip. So yeah, let's start it out. Let's get into it. Rachel. Dr. Rachel Ramis, thank you so much. I'm so happy, like, especially today. Today is the, the 19th. It's the day after we lost a huge loss. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Su- Supreme Court Justice. Um, it's a huge blow, but I think how trash 2020 has been, I think... It's a huge loss, but at the same time, it kind of puts it all in perspective that we're tired as fuck, but we have to keep fighting. And I think you're an amazing guest to have today because before we get into what I'm sure a lot of people talk to you when they interview you and stuff is the Ava effect. I want to talk about the Dr. Rachel Ramis effect, okay? Because I found out about you. I had just moved up by myself, living in K-Town, in like Slumlord Studio Apartment, and I didn't really know anyone up here. So I was just like, you know, finding my way through the music industry and stuff and going to different events solo. So I remember I went to some UCLA dusk, R.I.P. Dusk, he told me about, like, it was like a hip-hop conference or something at UCLA, and he's like, oh, you got to check out my homegirl's film, um, 
they're going to show it there and come through. And I, like, I just met him. Like, I didn't even know him that well. And um, it was like, it's called Nobody Knows Your My Name. And this was like, what, 1999, 2000? Yeah, over 20 years ago. Right? So. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I go there. And I don't know if I met you there, maybe at the after party or something. But I remember that was that was my intro to you. And I was like, yes, all of this fucking yes. Like, I'm like looking for people. Women, and I talked about this in an earlier episode with people you know, uh, Rachel and Elisa, it's just talking about like to find that cross section of people that understand me on multiple levels, where it's you know, hip hop, uh, that that vibe, that aesthetic influenced our lives so much. I and, and the vernacular and all that that goes with it, I, I kind of had to go with guy friends to get me on that level. But here I go, and I was like, yes, this is this is what I'm looking for. And then I met you, and I'm trying to remember how we actually met, but I was just like, what what is this? What she's dope, she's amazing. Um, I need this. And then when I finally met you, I don't remember exactly when, but I remember we bonded on like different different levels. So you are one of those people, Rachel. And so let's talk about it. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I don't remember exactly where we met. I think my earliest memory, we were like driving home from somewhere and that's when we really started to talk and connect about community being, you know, the few women in this space, so full of men. I know we connected on having lost our mothers to cancer very young. I know yes. we connected on dating in rap life. <laughs> I know we connected on like so many, so many levels. And, and yeah, today's a tough day. Um, yeah. The loss of RBG and even thinking about the loss of dusk, dusk was someone who, you know, he brought community together. He was someone who, like, I met, I think, at, like, DJ Bonds's spot. And then DJ I met Bonds. Dusk through that. And then we were just all in the scene. And then I'm like, yo, I'm doing this thing about women. And would you DJ the party? And he's like, but I'm not a woman. I was like, but you bring a community and safe space for women to be. And so it wasn't just about only women's spaces, but spaces and places that that we all could connect and support each other and lift each other up and teach each other and, and, you know, really be on some knowledge because, you know, there's so much misinformation. And I thought that that was just the past or like people just didn't know or understand hip hop or they were just hating on us because we were, you know, mostly, socioeconomically disadvantaged kids and black and brown kids acting wild. And we were wild, but we were also <laughs> like down and conscious. But to see now, you know, now four degrees later, including a PhD, I've traveled the world and back and the fight is still in a sense the same. We've made lots of progress. There's lots of pockets of hope. There's so much community, but, and we have to organize right now, but I, I just yeah. read a, a social media post by uh, Loira Limbal, who's a documentary filmmaker, uh, works for Firelight Media. She's just an amazing part of this community. And 
you know, she was articulating the frustration that I feel that many of us feel of being in this two party system where, yeah, we're going to fight and we're going to vote and we're going to do all of this, but it's still where we're on the margins of all of it. Like Mm -hmm. the electoral college is broken, the Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, right. There's one Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I just rewatched or there was one and hopefully there will be another and another and another but I just rewatched the RBG documentary last night on Hulu. And, you know, she had this philosophy that like change is slow and that it has to happen like one thing after the next. And, and one thing in hip hop, I've always been impatient and, and wild. <laughs> and like, I want like this, what needs to be, and we need to do it. We're doing it right now. And that's the way it is. And so I think that's, you know, part of my frustration, even though, you know, now I'm grown, I still don't like the pace of how things happen. And that's incredibly frustrating, but we can't lose sight of even small gains, even small parts of this. Like, even though the the candidates are not the ones I would have chosen, it takes a certain kind of person to be willing to go and fight against all this, frankly, evil, like the kinds of policies, the fact, uh, I don't know. There's still kids in cages. We do. We don't hear about it because it's not the top of the news. And like, you can't trust the news. You don't even know. Like, so now the things that I always believed in, like science <laughs> and established news sources, like we're living in a time where like, I, I don't really know. Like I have to do research on the research Please inside it. of the information. And so, you know, it's, it's really wild times and Excuse me, my asthma is going wild. Fires, earthquake last night. Ugh, the worst. Tornadoes, like all of the things are happening right now because everything feels so out of balance. And so that's what I'm on. I've been on what I call a pandemic positive. Like, how can I be the change I want to see in the world? I've been gathering communities of women. I've been teaching for free, even though I get paid to teach, like that's my, my day job side hustle outside of directing television, but I've been doing it and building community, a community of about 400 women directors and creatives. I've been mentoring students. I'm teaching students. I'm teaching my own kids who are in the back behind me. (laughs) And, um, you know, I am tired, but tired is, is not much. It's just a, a small, price to pay for how important it is right now for us to do what we can, even within our own families, have those tough conversations in our communities. And yes, we have to vote, but again, that's one little piece of this. Yeah. Uh, So right now it's just heavy, real heavy, heavy times. Yeah. It's a heavy Saturday. And I want to get back to the history of you, right? So we meet, we, we bond on the fact that at the time, back, back in the days, you know, that we were, when you're in your twenties or however, we were in our twenties, right? You're already kind of lost. You're kind of already trying to figure out so many things because you're not a teen, you're not a full blown adult, but then you and I kind of just had that extra layer since we lost our mothers so early and it was, it was hella unique rare to find someone that comes from a similar world and, 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 you know, at the time we were full blown, like, you know, all activists and stuff like that. And then 
but also hearing the loss and seeing how that affects. But you talking about you're tired, right? And you, we know to think of all the things that Ruth had to go through when she was the first of a bunch of shit during the t- those times. And so I think you're the perfect person because so I get to know you. And then remember we started having those dinners at your place. It was like yeah. Miranda, Asia oh, Warren, yeah. from, like all that stuff. And it was just like a small Grimpa, group. Was like, right? Mid-city LA. Yeah, mid-city. And it was just like just a place where we could just talk all the shit of all the stuff we were going through, who who we were dealing with, you know, the trash dudes that we were dealing with, all that shit, all the shit we were dealing with being in the industry, right? But at the same time, you're over here single mama in it. And people that don't know, I called you, I, I wasn't, you know, just joking. You're a mother, you got your doctorate. Like, after all this shit, <laughs> you were tired as fuck. Because I'm, I'm an older mom. My, you know, the Supernatural Bird's only seven. I can't imagine being in my 20s, being a mom, a single mom in this fucked up industry, and also going out and getting getting an education first and foremost, and then getting the next, going to the next level, the next level. How did you do that? Like it, it still boggles my mind. I have so much respect for you, Rachel. So break it down. Like what, how the fuck did that have go down? Well, thank you for all the love. Um, means a lot. It really, it means a lot. You know, I was, uh, 23. I was a film student at UCLA um my partner at the time was a music industry dude who like if e40 had an in-store or we had some family gathering best believe he may have done a 30 second walkthrough at the house but he would spend the whole day (laughs) on the road with e40 and that's just sort of the reality of what life was for me you know my daughter was i got pregnant at 23 my or at the end of 22, my uh, daughter was born when I was 23. She was six months old when my mom passed away. Both my parents actually passed away. They were, they both had cancer. They were diagnosed three weeks apart. Uh, right before my undergraduate graduation, I finished undergrad on a Thursday and I fit, I started MFA in directing. There was a boot camp that started on the Monday right after graduation and you know it was tough it was tough to be pregnant in grad school it was I was the only woman in my production group you know the people I went to school with were real high caliber very smart and have become tremendously successful people like Justin Lin and Joe Russo like these are the guys that I was making films with and that was what the track I had in mind for myself not that I knew they were going to blow up so, so big and have like the highest person <laughs> films in the world, but like, I knew we were doing something and I was on birth control. Like I went to the doctor, like, wait, say what now? And she was like, well, congratulations. I was like, she said, you know, what it says like it's 99.9% uh, effective. Like, congratulations. You're that 0.01%. I was like, I couldn't have like won the lottery. Like what? <laughs> like, what is this? I was like, what? And I honestly, no disrespect to my children, but it wasn't in my game plan to be a mom. I didn't, I wasn't planning to be a mom. I just wanted to 
make films and tell stories and travel. Like that was what I was on. And, um, but then somehow, whatever you believe in the universe, science, whatever it was, picked me. Cause I was like, I took those pills the same time every <laughs> single day and surprise. But my parents were dying. And uh, my, my older brothers who are nine and 11 years older than me didn't have kids. This was the first grandchild. So my oldest, who's now 23, she was the first and only grandchild my parents got to hold. And so something hit me. There was like a weight of like, I will have to do this. Like, like all the things, all the things I was scared about. I just said, well, I just have to do it. Like for whatever reason, this is what I'm part of my path. And it wasn't easy. You know, I had friends who said, you know, you can't be a filmmaker and a mom. I had an advisor who called me in and said, when are you going to quit school? I was like, quit school. Like my health insurance, (laughs) my paycheck, everything comes from UCLA. Like I don't, and and now I know it's illegal. Like now (laughs) we'd be a hashtag. I'd be on the cover of this, that, and the other. But then at 23, I was grappling with, you know, family loss and pain and being 3000 miles away. My parents were both in New York and I was in Los Angeles, but it all taught me my own strength. And despite not having a straight path in my life, like from, you know, here to here. And then I made it like, mama, I made it. No, it's been a lot of stops and curves and pivots and, and a lot of things along the way. But what it's taught me is who I am and my own strength and my own ability. And, um, man, the PhD, I needed a lens to understand having survived rap life, like for real. So, (laughs) You know, I went to film school. I was one of the only women in all of production. And then there would be like another one and another one. And like, we would be like, hey, waving across. Like, how's it going for you? Because like, you know, and, and just all the things of, of guys taking cameras out of my hands because that would happen on a shoot. Because I'm short and I was little and petite and all the things. And then just being, you know, like discounted or underestimated by too many people. And then, you know, pivoting out of what I would call mainstream Hollywood and doing all kind of rap stuff. Like I was filming concerts, producing rap videos, going on tour with artists, you know, writing for and photographing and filming for, um, you know, magazines like Source, Herb, Vibe, all those kinds of things. And um, really making my living off of producing hip hop media. And then I moved to New York when my daughter was like two and it was like my dream job. It was like cool urban or hip hop. I was on the team with some amazing folks that started complex magazine. And it was like, I was traveling, I was shooting. I was like in the thing. And then they decided to make it a men's magazine because like the kind of men's magazines with girls and bikinis was the hottest thing in in hip-hop and in really magazine culture at that time and so my dream job quickly became a feminist nightmare and I'm I left New York moved back to LA and I was still working for Echo the company at the time was the parent company of Complex I was shooting like marketing videos and like kids wearing Echo Rhino clothing and stuff like that but it wasn't 
complex. It wasn't the yeah. like cool urban state. It was like, it was fine. And then uh, I got an alert on my SkyTel two-way pager. Remember those? Sky, those yep. the big <laughs> SkyTel and in the club, it had like an infrared beam and you'd be like, you know, beam me. And that's how, yeah, totally. you know, that's how the rappers used to get your numbers. Like from <laughs> beaming you from uh, your SkyTel. So I got an alert from all hip hop that said, Gwen Pugh at the University of Minnesota teaches first ever class on women in hip hop. And I was like, You could do that? Like, (laughs) I could do that. Staying competitive in these dynamic times means having the right technology at work for your small or medium-sized business. Whether your goal is to grow, downsize, or modernize, Panoply BPO provides the right combination of tools, support, and affordability necessary to make it a reality. Visit PanoplyBPO.com. That's P-A-N-O-P-L-Y-B-P-O.com to schedule your no-obligation consultation today. Mention WTYM and get your 13th month of service for free. PanoplyBPO.com. There is a better way. And, uh, a friend of mine had just, she was a, a PhD from UCLA who I knew from uh, Chicano Latino Film and TV Association that I used to run. We did a film festival and all kinds of things at UCLA. And she was a professor of uh, Chicano studies and education, but she studied specifically the representation of Chicanos and Latinos in Hollywood movies in a classroom setting. So like mm. Dangerous Minds and Freedom Writers and basically black and brown kids like wilding it wilding out <clears throat> so she said i was editing a video for her to take to an academic conference and she was like you know you should get a phd and i was kind of like what's a phd and like why would i ever need that yeah. like it was a miracle that i had an mfa like my mother grew up in the east river housing projects like she didn't get to go to college she married my father this is a much longer story at 16 <laughs> And then she went to college. She went to community college when I was in elementary school. So we used to sit at the kitchen table together and do our homework. And my older brothers would help her do math and things that she didn't remember how to do. And she became a nurse. And so I saw that she like was set Mm -hmm. on this goal to, to do that. And so let's try to make the story shorter. Basically, I... Finished my friend's video, sent her off, and that night I stayed up and I wrote an essay about what it was to be one of the only women in film school, what it felt like to be one of the only women in hip hop. I was the only woman on stage, like a six concert shooting. It was only me on stage, which was ridiculous. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's where nobody knows my name came from. It's like, who am I? Nobody. Like, no, like what, you know, what are we in here? Like, people only knew me as so-and-so's girl, right? Or so-and-so's yeah, girl with the, the camera. Like, yeah, people yeah. People know that I had a name back then. And so I wrote an essay about all of that, and I uh, made a copy of my documentary on VHS, and I overnighted it on Jive Records on their FedEx account. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent it to Minnesota. And uh, a week later, I got a call that I was accepted into the doctoral program in feminist studies there. So I 
got real nervous and deferred a semester because it was crazy. But then I moved from L.A. in a heat wave to Minnesota in January, and it was like 20 below zero. And I was like crying, and I was like, I'm not going to make it. And to his credit, that record label dude, he overnighted me a Averex floor-length coat and was like, (laughs) put on a coat and stop crying. Like, you can do this. Like, he really... I needed that. I needed this expensive coat. And uh, I just said, uh, you know, I needed a lens to understand. I needed language and a critical lens to understand what I had survived. Because, man, like, it's just tough. Like, for a lot of these spaces, you're either, like, now with my, you know, feminist PhD language, it's like you're (laughs) in collusion with your own oppression on some bell hooks right there. Like, like, yeah. either you participate in this space that keeps you in these little tiny boxes where you only can be the wife, the girlfriend, the side chick. Like, yeah. Or Compartmentalize, you know. that's it. And, and uh, so I just, I, I don't know what it was, but something inside me, I just had to keep going. I felt like this was the way. And Truth, being a graduate student and then being a, an instructor allowed me to be very present for my daughter. I mm. would pick her up from school. I was able to, you know, make dinner and help her with her homework and and be there when she was in rock band at school and in all the school plays. And, and you know, both filmmaking and rap life are not always conducive to mm. being present. And, and I wanted to be a present mom. And then while I was getting my PhD, I met somebody and real complicated story and person. And then I got pregnant with twins and then I lost one of the twins and then my son was born. And then the dad had had a lot of life problems and I finished in Minneapolis with two more degrees. So I had an MA in women's studies and a PhD in feminist studies and now single mom of two kids. So I went on the job market and uh, decided I was just going to be a professor because that seemed to be the most like stable path for like, what can I with four degrees now a house in student loans? Because Mm -hmm. even with scholarships and funding and this, that and the other, it was still incredibly tough. And I amassed a house, you know, not like an LA house, but like a Midwestern house or like a a big house. house in Alabama. But a house House nonetheless. So like my mortgage payment is for my degrees, which is cool, but I don't own a house or whatever. So long way said, I think it's something that um, I realized I'm the kind of person I need to understand what's happening. Like when Mm -hmm. something is going on, I'm like, what? I have to break it down. And going to school was the way it gave me access to tools. It gave me access access to resources. It gave me control of my time and schedule where like we weren't living big, but we were living safe mm. and comfortably and funded to travel to conferences. And so my kids always felt, I think, a really middle class life where they never knew there was like three dollars left to make it. And I'm like had a mentor who would just like slide me grocery money or help me with this, that or the other or um those kinds of things. So it, it wasn't easy, but, but it was worth it. And, you know, it's, it's allowed me to have a lot of uh, choice and yeah. control in my life in a, in a life that has been through a lot of stress and chaos and, and all kinds of things. But 
I don't know. I'm I'm rambling now. I'm a I'm a stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I really thought it was like I wanted to start off there because I think that's super important. And in you your telling of all this. I just I just did this conference. It's, today's the last day. It's Wonder Woman Tech, right? And it was about diversity, inclusion, and all this stuff like that. And I did this mentor magic session. And I think it's it's all women in these spaces that they're the only one. They're the only woman. They're the only woman. Maybe add on top of that the only woman and the, maybe the only person at all of color, right? And so one of the things that I talked about when they were asked, it was a Q&A afterwards, and um, I was like, you know, looking back, when I first got into the music industry, I set some boundaries. I was like, you know, I'm going to da-da-da-da. But without, because the patriarchy is so fucking ingrained in us, and we we perpetuate it without even kind of knowing it sometimes. Like, I'm like, nah, fuck that shit. But looking back, I was telling them, like, there was a point in time where I thought being one of the only women in this space that I had to be one of the guys, right? So they could respect me and da 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 da. But then but then I had to really see what that was about. You know what I'm saying? Like I could be whoever the fuck I want to be. I could do whatever. You know, I was like, I'm gonna go in and I'm not gonna fuck a group of dudes in here and I'm gonna keep it real legit. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so what? Same. What the, I did I said the same know? thing. I told You're myself like, all those lies too. <laughs> Like, okay, you know, like it was a badge of honor. Like if you're in this crew of these folks. <laughs> and yeah, but you know, and no. so, and, and and one of the crazy things too, when I first started out, you know, guys would come out, try to be like your mentor and try to like say they got you. But then as soon as you turn around a second later, they're trying to get at you too. It's like, it's fucked up. And, and it's also because that what you said earlier I felt that shit because that's what I why I hid my relationship for mad years because I didn't want to be we're always whose girl is that how did you oh you got here because of that you got here because of him it's never because you fucking worked your ass off and you're talented you got the skills and da 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 it's always like so when I first started and you know we were together for a long time but mad people didn't know like for mad years like later I was like, remember that time you tried to introduce us? We were already dating. I was like, like, I was like, I was really trying to, and it's sad that we have to try to do that, you know, try to, sh try to shelter ourselves and do all this stuff. And so I was thinking like the things you talked about, someone could be listening and they could be the only woman in the first VR something or the only woman in engineering or neuroscience but they know this feel. It's fucking universal. It doesn't matter, right? We just happen to be the ones in a fucked up already industry that's crazy and could be super evil. But then go deep down and go into the hip hop side of it during the the nineties. <laughs> like you know, I'm really looking forward to a time when there's no more firsts. Like yeah, like. RBG, why is she still like the first liberal woman? You know, she was the second woman on the Supreme Court, but like we're still in this time of first, right? We're still, and it's like, man, can we push forward and, and at least shift that so that not every woman and not every person of color and not every woman of color has to continually be on display mm -hmm. as the first and the only and the one who represents for all, like I'm real, 
it's really exhausting. Yesterday I got profiled by a a new website, Latinx directors. And it was about how have you been stereotyped in Hollywood? And I was like, Oh, you know, and it's like, really, we're still on this time. Latinos in Hollywood as, as a television director, I know I am incredibly blessed and privileged, but like, yo, we are 6% of all working directors in Hollywood. Six, like, out of all of us in the director's guild, like we make up 6% of working folks. So it's like our numbers, there's 18,000 members that are like directors and ADs and UPMs and other folks in the director's guild, but there's 18,000 members and the Latinos are the smallest diversity committee. And then it's a smaller percentage of our people that are working. So that's another thing during the pandemic, I've stepped up as a leader within these communities within the Latino community, the women's steering committee, within the DGA, because again, I ha- like I said at the top, I need to be part of the change. I can't sit mm-hmm. home just complaining like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm tired. Oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I am tired, but I'm more tired of this shit yeah. than I am <laughs> That's tired. That's what it is. <laughs> just letting all, like tired of being victimized by a system that, that isn't built for us, by us, or rooting for us to win, but, but we have to win. Like our lives depend on it. So yeah, <laughs> patriarchy being the one woman. I mean, we grew up at a time where there was like one girl out the crew, right? It was like, oh God, you know, uh, Remy Ma of the Terror Squad, Foxy of the Fur. Always the one, always like the one that, they only one let the one. Just one girl, right? And then if she didn't sell, they drop her ass real, real quick. Like nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I found out even being coming a tenured professor, because I was a, t- a tenured professor at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and it was hard to get tenure. And tenure basically means that you have a permanent job at that institution and you get paid more and you get more responsibilities and things. And you helped vote on other future folks in that in that department and in the university. Well, I found out after I got tenure that I was only the second Latina tenured in the United States in the area of media production. And I think there's currently five. There's like four or five. And I gave up tenure, which felt really like a, wow, holy privilege do I have now that I can walk away from this. But seeing that the numbers are the same in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the industry and having the opportunity to direct television, I was like, okay, I can do this. But, but instead of being a big fish in a really small pond, I can be a small fish in a very big pond, but now I have the skills and the tools and the ability to make waves, right? Like now I have to use the tools that I have learned and, and take it, take it to a bigger platform, you know, uh, but it's crazy to me that, like, why is that in academia? Why is that in Hollywood? Why is that all in spaces? Like, in all these spaces. So, and and I one thing I noticed too, being young and going into uh, the music industry and going more on the on the promotions on the on the live music side. Who, the person that really gave me the next level shot was a woman. She opened the door for me. She she hired me, but she didn't see me as just whatever I was hired as. She gave literally gave me a seat at the table 
at the weekly marketing meetings with the VPs and the talent buyers. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but I'm about to learn a grip of shit. That helped me significantly. But she was a rare, she was a unicorn in that space during that time. The, first of all, first and foremost, there weren't that many women executives in high spaces. But at the time, it was that crabs in a barrel mentality. Because that's what was instilled in us. Like, I'm only the one. So nah, bitch, you're not going to come and take my place. It wasn't this, let me lift you up shit that we're seeing now, which I love it. And we need fucking way more of it to 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 rise up and, and dismantle these antiquated systems. But back then, I saw that and I was like, I don't like that shit. You know, I'm not going to be like that. I don't ever want to be like that. And what you've always done from jump, you know, you had us all at your house, you know, you were a, a single mom doing the most. You you always did these, created these amazing spaces. And that is the fuel for creating all this change, right? Because um, I talked to someone, uh, who did I talk to? Of all people, Arabian Prince the other day. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, because a lot of people don't know, he like invests in tech a lot and he does all these things. And he's like, I want to be like a, a a zombie in the zombie apocalypse. I want to bring you on, bite, like bite you, but help you to give you opportunities and money so that you could do the same and, and start programs to help where we were at as kids. And I was like, exactly. Like you, Rachel, you create those spaces regardless from jump and you've always had that. And before we get into... I really want to get into how you even, why you, the reason why behind, behind why you gave up your tenure, um, you know, I really hate the fact that you and I and everyone before us, when we became moms, turned into, oh, it's a wrap for you, right? <laughs> like, and, and what, you know, what frustrates me is, is that they say that, but also when, when I was becoming a mom for the first time, and it was for me an accident, like it was a surprise as well. And I was like, my life is fucking over. But people started, were like, oh, you know, people always told me stay, people always tell women, stay in your lane. Let's just stay in your lane, right? You can't do all this shit. But dudes, dude, like if we look at it and I always say, I, if I, if I, you were get about to get your, you know, you got pregnant and you're about to go into school and film school and all this stuff. A, a dude does that. No question. He becomes a dad. No problem. Cause you know why you and I, all of us, we could fucking dad that shit like nobody's business. Cause you just boom. Right. So the fact that you use that as fuel and motivation is incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? Cause you're like, nah, B that, that that's not a rap. If anything, I got to provide even more. And that's the difference. I think people don't really see that. They see, oh, she's dope. She's a mom and she did this. Well, you know what? What all entails to be a mom? <laughs> you had to think of trying to provide a safe space, trying to be present on top of that. You weren't dadding it. <laughs> you know? So many layers to this. Okay. I, yeah, I started taking notes because I was like, okay, she's dropping so much right now. You know, you, you talk about visibility. Well, I was invisible in the music industry. I didn't even have an access to the seat at the table, but you know what? I made the marketing plans. I wrote all the retail reports. I ran a whole street team of dudes who, if you drove down Pico, La Brea, anywhere, those stickers, <laughs> 
We started those on stickers up from the ceiling <laughs> to the, you know, I was trying to figure out how do we not go to jail for all of this? Because I knew it would like they went wild in the streets because it was all these like young taggers and rackers that were like connected to this crew. But the crew was highly visible dudes. One who's like on TV now, like super famous, you know, big network TV show dude. And people go, oh, did you see it? I don't even want to say the company name. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, da, 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 da. Those yeah. dudes are killing it. I was like, those dudes. Like, that's, like, I did that. <laughs> like, even one of the dudes said, one of the dudes on the crew said something like, oh, so-and-so dude is killing it. Like, my dude at the time. And I was like, you like that? Like, that was me. Like, <laughs> I wrote all the proposals that got contracts at every major record company. I was behind everything, but I, I was invisible. No one even knew. I remember I was filming at the Beat radio station, and there Maybe. was a label guy in there talking about, you know, he was repping all of our favorite rappers at the time. And he was like, oh, and we hired so-and-so promotions, and they just killed it in the streets, and da 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 And I sort of looked at the homegirl who I brought with me who was, like, carrying my camera bag because she knew that that was all me. And here's the dude who's like the president of the label who has zero idea. I was just some girl with a camera in the mm -hmm. way. And that's when I realized, wow, like where do you, not that I want to be visible and get pat, a pat on the back for every single thing I do, but, but the way in which we even understand history and who was important and how things worked, like all of that has to be shifted. Like we have to document what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and make these spaces because I thought it was just me. And then it turned out it was like all of us. In all some, of us. Like we were behind someone else. Um, and what I really dug into, especially as I started in, in, in um, grad school studying women's studies was the history of, of women of color feminisms and the way in which women of color feminisms would like these women, these feminists would sit at their kitchen tables because that's all they had access to. And they would use the tools that they had at their fingertips and they would invite each other over. They would each bring food. They would like build and write and, and rock the kids to sleep while they were um, helping us to theorize and think through our everyday oppressions and try to really put into perspective like why and how and what and how to transform. And so, you know, graduate school wasn't all roses. Like some of the senior faculty, they insisted that the core of the program was the history of Western feminisms. And, and there was very, things needed to shift. And who's the one who's going to come in and <laughs> quiet and make them shift that was me you know and even a, a like down conscious white feminist scholar who was like world famous called me you people in a class and I lost my <laughs> and then she ended up leaving and going to a different university and and one of my advisors who's a woman of color came in and was like you did that like she couldn't hang <laughs> that we brought all these women of color up in here and I learned later that, that there were many votes against my application. And, and it took one black feminist who was like, no, this is my pick. Like, she will be here. And I learned later, it took a Latino mentor of mine, professor at UCLA, to be like, she is my pick. Like, she will be here. 
because I've always been told like, no, 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 this isn't for you. This is not. And then it just took one person to really use that, the power that they had and created space for someone else. And so, you know, that's what I've been on. I remember the very first website that I ever registered. It's so silly, but I was thinking about it. It was called theconnect.com, T-H-A, the connect. <laughs> and it was like links. It was just links to other shit. Like, oh, the ladies in Chicago were doing this. The women in, in the Bay are doing this. Like the women in LA are doing this. It was really like a, I don't know. It could have been a spreadsheet of like URL <laughs> link, but I was, I didn't even know it at the time that my mission has always been to like connect people. And so, you know, I still do that in my, in my teaching. I'm trying to connect students with industry and with each other in my, you know, work as a filmmaker, very collaborative and in my organizing with, you know, women filmmakers and, yeah, even in hip hop, it's all been about building spaces and places and taking that kitchen table like in. Oh, I know. I lost my point in grad school when I was studying black feminists and women of color feminists and learning about kitchen tables and the kitchen table press and the feminist press. And I was having a tough time. It was not smooth. It was not smooth for me at all. But with other women of color grad students, we formed our own collective called the KTC, the Kitchen Table Collective. Our kitchen table was like in a coffee shop, but we would sit and we would bounce ideas. They would read drafts. We would read drafts of each other's work. They read my dissertation and helped me so much and even babysat my kids. So like when I would go film something or I would need to teach something or so we created the space that we needed and, and. You know, your tribe, your your village. And I think that's what what we 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 as women do. And I think that's perfect way to segue into you're always creating these spaces for so many different people and these opportunities and connecting. And then what I was talking about earlier, how, you know, the the it's shifting where now other women who are the only one or one of the few are, are reaching and, and lifting other women up. Um, so let's talk about how the Ava effect got you to this point and how now you're back in LA and you're doing amazing things. So like how, like how did that go down? For people that don't know, break it down for them. So I knew Ava DuVernay back, way back in the day when I was running the streets with you. So <laughs> she was a rapper and a crew and like, I would go to the spot and it'd be like her and her crew and like me and my crew of wild street team girls and photographers (laughs) and whatever else. And so you would acknowledge the other women because there were not that many of us. And I sort of met her in that capacity first. Like I thought, I didn't know her name was Ava and I was uh, working on a documentary called Freestyle the Art of Rhyme with Deidre Organic. And Organic was like, yo, I hired this publicist named Ava DuVernay. And I, I was like, Ava DuVernay, he's like, you know her, you know that girl? I was like, I don't, I don't know anyone. I was like, I don't know. So he like showed me her website or something. And I was like, that, like her name is Lady Eve. Like that's <laughs> And he's like, look at the website. It's the Ava DuVernay company. Like this is like, and so, you know, I was like, oh, rap life. <laughs> like, you know. Right. So that's, I think, the first time I actually was in like a work connected space with her was was through freestyle. 
And then reconnected with her, I think about 10 or more years ago through a blog of all things. So when I got to Alabama as a professor, I was in orientation and there was this woman behind me who was like, hi, Rachel, uh, I'm, I'm Brittany. And I was like, hey, Brittany. She was like, I'm in your book. So as a grad student with my mentor, my professor, we edited the first anthology about women in hip hop called Home Girls Make Some Noise. So the professor behind me in orientation was published in the book. So she introduces herself and then we became friends. And she was like, so I have this crew of women that I started with my homegirl, Susanna. We call ourselves the Crunk Feminist Collective. <laughs> I was like, Crunk Feminist? I was like, Crunk, that's so Southern. That's from ATL. Like, I'm from New York. Like, <laughs> my people are from Spanish Harlem. I'm not Crunk. She was like, girl, if ever there was Crunk, you You're are crunk. it. Like you are honorary. You're in Alabama. You are crunk as hell. I was like, okay, I'm crunk. Get crunk. Let's do this. So I joined this crew and they started this blog. And the night that Ava DuVernay's My Mic Sounds Nice, a documentary she did about women in hip hop aired, I wrote a piece uh, talking about how beautiful it was and moving and all the things she had done. And I sort of traced from my work, Nobody Knows My Name through some mm. of the other women filmmakers who I met who made short films and documentaries and other things. And I posted it. And, you know, Ava, she's so smart. I am sure she had a Google alert before any of us said, right. because as soon as it posted, bing, she commented. and was like, this is dope. Like, thank you for writing this. I think we know each other, sis. And so we connected on social media from a blog. And she was like, oh, we you're in Alabama? Like, you're a professor? Like, when did you leave LA? Like, what? <laughs> I was probably most, uh, most unlikely to ever leave Los Angeles and move to the South. Like, that's For sure. Me no For sense. sure. But that's me. Like, if it's a challenge, if it's something totally wild and out there, I'm like, huh, that sounds fun. Let me try that. Like, let's do this. And so she had roots in Alabama. Her family at the time was living in Alabama and she was like, Oh, you know, so we bonded over LA rap life. We bonded over some Alabama things. And then I said, I'm bringing a group of students to Los Angeles for a class to teach them about how to break into industry. Would you be willing to talk to the students? And she did. And, you know, it was in that moment that I really realized that, that like her generosity and her vision is mm. bigger than herself. Like, mm. yes, it, it, she has tremendous vision and talent and skill as a storyteller and a writer and a producer and a director, but also her vision is to transform the industry and then create spaces and places to help foster other people's visions. And that's what I had been doing as a professor for the last, you yeah. know, 15, 20 years that I've been teaching. And so I was back in Tuscaloosa and I had taken the students to Sundance Film Festival as another travel class, like the LA class. And I heard that she was in uh, Atlanta casting for Selma, her big first studio feature film. And I just sent her a message like, hey, sis, we're doing this film festival. You know, would you be willing to come for the weekend? The film festival is called Black Warrior, you know. So she pictures fists up Black Warrior. <laughs> it's the name of the river in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Black Warrior River. 
that is hilarious. And she still like does it. Let me live that down. Like I got your black student. Like, yep, here are my three black students. Like, you know. But anyway, she came. She was so generous. I connected her with so many students. She just she talked about her experiences reaching levels of success, being the first black woman to win the top prizes at Sundance and mm-hmm. how that still didn't open doors. It took someone saying, no, 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 we want her to do this and fighting for her to get this, that, and the other and get her first episode of television. And after that, she hired several of my students for their first PA jobs on Selma. Awesome. And she ended up a couple months later after Selma hiring my mentee who goes by Shooter. She hired Shooter to be her assistant. So I'm like coaching her and withdrawing her from all of her classes. Cause like when you get recruited to the A team, like you go yeah. like, yeah. Hey, like, so I withdrew her from, I was calling the registrar like, hi, this is Dr. Amos. Like, how do I drop a student? No, 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 not drop a class. Like with like drop her whole <laughs> schedule. Like, she's, out of here. she's going to New York. And so she ended up working with Avon several projects. She was on the set of Queen Sugar where she was the first team PA. That's the person who was working with the main cast. Mm. And she posted a picture on Facebook with Nima Barnett. Now, Nima is legend. She is an important director, an incredible director, but also, again, one of the first black women to direct network television. It was her and Debbie Allen, I believe. Debbie had done Fame and she had done, I I can't remember her first show, but it was around, she was doing stuff like Different Worlds and um, those kind of things. And Nima taught me how to direct at UCLA. She was my professor. And so then I was like, oh, Nima taught me and I taught Sierra, like, oh, full circle. And they were like, what are you doing? Come to set. Come to set. So uh, I took my son to a friend who watched him. And my daughter and I drove to New Orleans where they shoot and hung around. And Ava showed up that day. And I was like, "Mm, like, what are you doing? She was like, what are you doing here? This is my show. I was like, this is like episode (laughs) six or eight. Like, why are you here? You know, it was a funny moment. And my daughter's cell phone rang. It was vibrated. It was on silent. They were shooting. But it vibrated in between takes. And she answered the phone. It was the television academy. She had gotten me... uh, Emmy's internship in public relations and Mm. she became a PR major because she heard Ava say as a publicist she got to see everybody doing everything and being Mm. on set was her film school my daughter wanted to work in music even though I am (laughs) I have music industry trauma that's her passion and there wasn't a major in that at Alabama so she became a PR major applied for the Emmy's internship and is standing next to Ava DuVernay when she gets the Amazing. call that she gets it. And she was a freshman. Like, she really had no business with this top <laughs> industry, best internship in television. But, you know, she started college in high school. She's a little bit of an overachiever like I am. <laughs> motivated. Highly motivated. So anyway, she's hugging Ava. They're having a whole moment. And then Nima's like, so, Rachel, what's up with you? I'm like, um. And immediately I felt like my 18-year-old self. Like, yeah. <laughs> me I was like um well um I'm a tenured professor Uh, I run an amphitheater for the mayor in Tuscaloosa I like run the whole video crew and change my students I um I run an arts organization a nonprofit that helps students turn like ideas into action I run a class that goes to Sundance I take students to LA like I and she was like 
you were one of my best directing students. Like, basically, what have you done lately? Yeah. And then I see a like, chuckling. My student, Sierra, is like, she is busting out. Because normally I'm like, what are you doing? How, what, what, what? Like, because <laughs> yeah. I learned. Tables have been turned. <laughs> Nima, Nima's from Harlem. She, like, plays it straight. <laughs> She's not, like, bullshitting with you. She's not playing. And uh, in that moment, I, I share all this to say, I think it was in that moment that Ava realized that I mm. had given of my own dreams and all of my dreams were in students. All of my work was giving these tools and lifting up other people. So it was about a year and a half or more later when she called and it was actually the history of the it was, the date was important for me in terms of my own history. It was the date that my son's father had passed away. And that was a big traumatic thing, unexpected. And she called on that day and was like, hey, girl, what you doing? And I'm looking at my phone because normally she'll like text or DM. And so yeah. I was like, oh, no, Sarah did something. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> it's like, oh, my student, you know, even though she's not actually my student, she's forever like my mentee and I call her, but she's my mini me, really. I adore her so much. And so I was like, Hey, she's like, what you doing? I'm like, nothing, like literally nothing. And wrinkle in time was about to come out. She's the first black woman, again, a first, first black woman to direct a hundred million dollar studio movie. Yeah. Why is she wasting her time calling me? Like, why is my phone ringing? So I'm like, Hey, and she was like, you, I don't know why you left LA. I don't know why, what took your path. She had this very beautiful share mm. and she said, you've done so much for everyone else. And now it's time for you. Yeah. And I'm like, time for what? I yeah. feel <laughs> clueless. Like, well, I'm thinking Sierra is about to break to the next level. And she's asking me to mentor her. Like that's my mind state is I thought my role in life was to be in service of other people and lift other people up and give my gifts to help nurture other people. And she was like, no, no, no. It's, I want you to direct Queen Sugar. I, girl, I was silent. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then she was like, e -e -e, you watch my show? Like, you like it? I was like, I love it. I've watched all the seasons that are out, like, multiple times. Like, it's a beautiful show. I was like, I, I just need a minute to, like, catch up with this moment. Because I never in my life thought I'd have this chance. Like, even back then, when I went to one of the top film schools, when I was with the top dudes, when I was at what I thought was my peak at that point in my twenties, I still never thought like directing network television would be possible for quote, someone like me. And I, I looked at the other directors, like they had features at Sundance and South by, and they had award-winning short films. I hadn't even directed anything scripted outside of like student work or whatever in 10 or 20 years. Mm. I had been doing docs live events and music videos and blah 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 and but still just she didn't even care she just knew I had it in me yeah and, you know I, I feel like the Ava effect is both opening the door but also supporting you on the other side of that door and then that you take the gifts you've been given and you have to then plant seeds and water them, foster it, and then pay it forward. That's for me, the Ava effect. There's so many le levels to it. The Ava effect is not just, here's a shot like a TV show. It's like she created the kind of set 
that I had never been on in my life. It mm. was so diverse and inclusive and supportive. The producing director, who was like the in-house director of calls in advance, that was Demaine Davis, who is just brilliant. She's a brilliant director, but also became a mentor. So we talked on the phone for hours before I got to set. They sent me lookbooks of like Ava's favorite shots from the previous season. Like the showrunner, Kat Candler, was incredibly generous. Like, do you have any questions? Do you need anything? Mm. Like, that's not the typical experience of television. And then you get there and there are folks supporting you. And um, the set looked like the world. It didn't look like the sets (laughs) that I had been on. (laughs) <laughs> when I was working in the industry, like I would work as a PA and other things when I was in college and the sets didn't have a lot of people who look like us and didn't have a lot of um, women directors at all, and especially not folks of color. And so I think she's building the world she wants to see in television and beyond. And then, you know, the Ava effect has given over 35 women directors of all different races and ethnicities and backgrounds, our first episode of television. And then to my knowledge, almost everyone is still working, making films and almost everyone has had second, third, fourth and 15th episodes and more from this opportunity. So the Ava effect is opening the door, supporting and then paying it forward and, and, you know, passing it on that, you know, Hollywood is a real, um, Hollywood is a business where everything is like secret and there's very little transparency of how do things actually work and people just hold and hide just like in yeah. hip hop are like, Oh, there's only room for me in this crew. Yeah. So if I tell my secrets, you're going to steal it from me. Now I'm like, Oh, let me share. Like before I did an episode of a show, I called another Latina director and said, Hey girl, I heard you did this show. Can you talk me through what it's like and how it's different from queen sugar? Cause she was another Queen Sugar's sister. And she talked to me for about an hour and saved me so much trouble that she went through of all the things she had to navigate because this next show, while it was down and dope and folks of color, it wasn't Queen Sugar, which was a very special set and very special environment. So that's why now I teach workshops to other women directors to make it transparent, like what happens in yeah. a general meeting? How do you get it? What is this? What kind of things do they ask you? Like, what does it look like directing television? Like things that I didn't know until someone else taught me. And now I'm like, let me help. Let me support. Let me teach you. Because I don't feel like there's only one episode and we're fighting for it. It's like there may only be one episode on this show. If they pick me, it's because I'm the right director. If they pick you, it's because you're the right director. Like if they don't pick me, it wasn't for me. So exactly. I don't feel I don't feel so much pressure, but also I have a side hustle. Like <clears throat> my PhD, nobody could take that from me. Right. So I still teach. I still speak. I get hired to do other things. So I my rent is always paid. And I don't feel like I'm working from a, a place of desperation, but the industry sets it up where it's really hard to maintain a life outside of the industry. And then you feel so desperate or, or nervous or stressed or like putting all your eggs on this one thing. If I don't get this episode, like how am we going to yeah. do X, Y, Z, especially as you're like breaking in and building up your episodes. So yeah. I don't know. There was there was an executive over diversity who after Queen Sugar, I took a leave of absence from my tenured faculty job. I just knew 
that I had to try that I, mm-hmm. if I didn't try to see if I could make it in Hollywood, I would be one of those professors who was like old and bitter, bitter and like, yeah. just bitter. And like that one time that I directed that show for Oprah, blah, 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 blah. Like I know everything. Just holding that and living. Yeah, just, totally. And I was like, I got to try. Cause, cause if I fail, I still can teach. I can teach anywhere, but I, I'm tenured. I could go back. There's all sorts of other professors who go on research leaves and all kinds of things that like yeah and all the things and I had already taken a sabbatical which was one of the challenges so I took an unpaid leave not even knowing how I would pay the rent but I just went on faith and after I left I got a call from someone who was like hey I saw in the trades that you directed Queen Sugar I'm developing these things do you want to work on these projects with me I was like yep and then I got a DM from the actor Michael Michelle from Queen Sugar who, I mean, she's just legend and brilliant and amazing. Yeah. And she was like, I saw that you're doing a GoFundMe for your DGA fees, which is a whole nother thing of like the a level grip. that it takes just to break <laughs> right. in. Like your initiation fee is 12 Gs. I don't have 12 Gs. Like just sitting ready. And then they were like payment plan. I was like on top of the all the credit cards, student loans, my all the things my kids need. Like I just, it was a whole nother level. So but people showed had, up for you. Let me just say that people like, showed up. I people I had to showed up because my name, though. yeah, you I did. But you, but it was the right it. move. People showed up for you because everyone, what I see, what Ava sees, what we all see, all the people you've helped, all the people you've touched, showed up for you. Girl, I posted it once, once on Facebook, and once on Twitter, and then folks like. MJ Walasia, she took it and went running and anybody <laughs> who ever I gave anything to, she was like, you owe her. So like people, all kind of rap life people were retweeting and, yeah. and all the things and it did not take long. And I raised all the money and paid my fees and paid to move my stuff from Alabama to LA. And then, uh, you know, an executive told me, oh, yeah, the first episode is real hard to get. But really, the really hard one is your second episode. Because people think, well, your first episode, someone could have helped you, right? That could not really be you or your work. So it's the second episode that's really, really tough to get. And she said, it usually takes new directors about two years. Girl, (laughs) I was off. And then she called me back and I was at a diversity breakfast at that studio. So that was kind of cool. (laughs) Uh, and then now I am two years in and I am booked on my sixth episode. That's right. In about a month. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Like your story is so fucking inspirational. That's why I was like, I need to have you on. I need you to touch upon everything. Like from the rap life to, you know, teacher life to mom life to da, 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 being underestimated, being told to stay in your lane, being, being at a point where you're like, am I too old for this? Like it, can I, I'm not the 20 something. And, and just saying, you know what? And I think that's, what's important. I think you and I and a lot of people in our group that we've known, that's something that we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. You just I mean, what do, do I have it. to lose now? I don't, what do I have to lose? Like, yeah. you know, my kids now are, you know, growing, grown. My daughter yeah. is an adult. She has grown. My son is a teenager. He'll be in high school next year. Like he can, 
feed and shower himself now and mostly do his own homework. He's better at his homework than I am, but it's just getting him to sit down and focus and do it. That's, you know, but I have a whole community who's helping me and lifting me up. And, and a former student comes and stays with my son when I have to travel and go on location. And, and my other friends bring my, my son to me so that we can visit when I have time off on set. And like, we're making it work. It's not easy. It is not easy at all, even at this level. But but why not? I am on some why like, fuck it, why not? not? Why not me? Why not us? Yeah. So Because you're going to continue, what whatever you do, you're going to continue to have these spaces, lift so many up, and pay it forward. And I just I really appreciate it. Bef- I know you got to go soon, but do you have time for the not-so-rapid-fire questions? I'll break it down and won't ask yes. you all of them. Yes. Okay. I okay. will try to rapid-fire Okay. Brevity is not always my strong <laughs> suit, but I will work on short. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to skip number one. I'm going to go to the second one. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received so far up to this point? Best piece of advice, man. Uh, so much, I am, you know, the recipient of so much advice and I go to so many talks and things. But I think when Ava says, you know, do your work and show up with something to offer, like you have to have something to put on the table because that desperation of like, please, please, please just Mm. pick me, just pick Mm. me. Like if someone approaches you with that energy, you just want to slowly back up because (laughs) nobody wants to be around that. But if it's like, Sis, I totally respect what you're doing and here's what I'm doing and you have something to contribute. I think that's the biggest thing is don't nobody in this world except maybe your mama and and I'm not even in this world to make my kids dream come dreams come true. I'm in this world to help mentor them, teach them, give them skills to navigate and make their own decisions. Like nobody's here to make your dreams come true. Mm-mm. So in students, in those cover letters of like, it has always been my dream to work at this yeah. company. No, no, no. nobody's going to pick you for your dreams. They're going to pick you for who you are, your vision, your worldview, your, yep. your hustle, your energy, your passion, and, and what you can contribute to the project. So be about something, have something to bring to the table. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. What about... <laughs> What are you doing? I, I mean, I feel like just our whole conversation just showed mad examples of what you're doing, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What are you doing to dismantle the patriarchy? So I run this group. It's a crew of for 400 women directors and creatives. I just started calling this Saturday sessions. It's not every Saturday. It's like random ass <laughs> Saturdays during this pandemic. But it's a space for only women. And people are like, why is that only for women, Rachel? And I was like, because it's a space where we can be open and transparent and honest and support each other and have real talk. And there is no dude who is going to lean over and take a camera out of your hands like has happened to me and I've seen happen to my students. It is a space for us, by us. And and, um, yeah, so that's... That's Hell what I've been yeah. doing is I think I've hosted over 20 hours of events just in the last 
four, five, six months, uh, just to break it down for other women who want to work as directors and, and other creatives in, in the industry. Amazing. This one's a short question, and then we'll get into the, the last one. What song do you listen to to get you hyped? Like you hella nervous about something or you're just like, oh, it's, you just got to calm yourself down or get yourself to that one point to, to go to the next level. What's your go-to hype song? <laughs> so my hype song is Annie Up, M-O-P. And <laughs> right? I, was in, I was in first class. Like, damn, I'm in first class. I made it. Mama, I made it. <laughs> I had never been in first class until I started directing <laughs> television. And I was like, they're like, you can go in that line. I was like, wait, what, me? So in my headphones, it's blasting. And there was this woman like, excuse me, excuse me. I can uh. hear your headphones. Because at that time, I didn't have fancy noise canceling. Uh. I just had little earbuds. And you could hear it in first class. <laughs> She was a big producer on a very, very big show, many, many seasons in, all with her very white, excuse me, excuse me. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I'm not supposed to be in first class. This is amazing. And so I still play that song when I'm getting hyped up for a show or for a meeting or whatever, because... Yeah, that's awesome. See, that's my energy right there. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's why we're friends, Rachel. That's the level. Of, my song is We Made It by Ghostface Killer every single fucking time. Every single time. So it, that's this. They're like here, the same level of energy. Last question before I let you go is what will what will be your legacy? Wow. Actually, that one hit me hard. Like my legacy is my children mm-hmm. and what they do in the world. Both of them are real, amazing people on some very different stuff. But I think certainly they will, they are already making me proud at 13 and 23. But also my legacy are my students. So I can't say more because I'm in the cone of silence, but like... <laughs> Very, very soon I'll be able to share the news. And it's like the biggest news ever for the woman that I've been mentoring the closest. Like right now, she's in first class on the way to do the thing. And I could not be prouder. Every day she sends me voice memo text of like, okay, I'm thinking about this. What about this? What about that? And I'm like, girl, like do the thing. And seeing... That she's off on her life journey. And one of my students who was in that very first class that met with Ava in Republic of Pi in North Hollywood, he just became, he's an executive now in development. And one of my other students, like everywhere I go, I see the fruits of, of what I've been doing for the last 10 and 15 years. I had a meeting at Netflix and I hear, Dr. Amos, Dr. Amos, what are you doing here as I'm getting in an elevator? I turn around, it's one of my students from Alabama. I get my field memo paperwork from uh, Nancy Drew CW show, and I get a text message, Dr. Amos, Dr. Amos, I work at CBS, (laughs) and and I'm booking your travel, and it just came across my desk, and oh my God, and I was like, I didn't even know that this student was working at this studio. Like, I had no idea. 
And everywhere I go, there's just some other connection of a seed that I have planted and watered and now is growing. For me, all the amazing work that everyone who I have mentored, taught, or mothered, to see those roots are so strongly planted and see them just growing, that's my legacy. That you know what that is right there? That's the Dr. Rachel Ramis effect, bitch. That's that effect. It is fucking worldwide, forever stretching. You're dope. Thank you so much, Rachel, for doing this. You know how much I love you. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to go to to Cuba if it wasn't for you. Uh, you know, to shoot some of my favorite people in hip hop at E3 if it wasn't for you. And I'm so fucking happy we were able to reconnect. Um, I love you. You're the best. Thank you. I love you too. It is mutual. And uh, congrats on this podcast. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Lillian Rivera and I am an author. And uh, my latest uh, young adult novel is coming out September 15th. It's called Never Look Back. It's a retelling of the Greek myth Orpheus and Eurydice set in New York with um, Afro-Latino protagonists, characters. Um, It has bachata, it it has prince, it has love, it has angry spirits and goddess and um, all kinds of stuff. So that's it. What's up? And now, introducing the Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear. Hello, I'm the Supernatural Bear, and this is the Supernatural Bear Corner. So today, my cuteness, I wanted to ask you, um, do you feel that girls can do anything boys can do, or women can do anything men can do, or those that identify in that way? Hmm. Yeah, I believe. You don't think that men are better than than women? Nope. So what you think what what are there any things that women can't do? Uh Well, all the things women can't do, men can't do either. Okay. And all the things women can, all the things men can do, women can do. All right. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Say bye to the peeps. Bye, everyone. I told you, if you made it all the way to this end part. Thank you, and I feel like you enjoyed that shit because, I mean, we we touched upon so many topics that I think it's going to be uh, an ongoing theme, uh, especially when I talk to women, and especially when I talk to women, women in general, and especially women of color in all these different spaces. So, yeah, man, she's dope, and watch out because she's, she's uh, doing what she wants to do so the lesson is it's never too late and also i think the 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 takeaway is you know you take care of so many people 
uh, as women, it's ingrained in us to always take care of people, to take care of others first. And sometimes, a lot of times, actually, we got to be like, you know what? It's time. It's time for us to take care of ourselves. And if we do that, then we are able to take care of so many more people if we're in the right state of mind. It's that oxygen air mask in the plane situation, right? Put the oxygen on yourself first, boom, you can take care of everybody else. Then you could take care of your child, you could take care of the elderly, whatever, whatever. But this is another thing as women, we do so much, we can handle so much. We run the world, kids. We run the world. So things are changing and but we the fight is still on. So let's let's keep fighting and let's make this place um just that much better. And of course, as always, shout out to Liberty and the Familia over in New Zealand who uh, should be out of quarantine now, um, settling in in their new spot and living that free, 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 COVID-free life. We miss you. We reap. Word to Your Mama is owned and produced by Ritzy Periwinkle. The intro beat and most of the beats are produced by Nico Beats. Where to your mama is brought to you by RitzyPerryWinkle.com, DoyanSharp.com, and PanoplyBPO.com.